be seated. I'm going to start this morning in John chapter 15. In John chapter uh, chapters 13, 14, and 15, and 16, we have some information about the conversation that Jesus had with the disciples at the Last Supper. The other three Gospels talk about the Passover meal that Jesus had with his followers. But it's pretty much just the, the nuts and bolts. The specifics of the Passover meal and how Jesus shared it with his disciples. But John comes with the, his gospel many years later. The other three gospels are uh, believed to be written around 60 to 62 AD. But John writes his gospel in something like 94 or 95 AD. So there's about a 30-year gap between the first three gospels and then the one that John writes to us. And as a result, the Holy Spirit inspires John to give us some insight and to go into some depth about what Jesus wanted his disciples to do and what occupying till he comes really looks like. So in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And the men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you, can, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and forth and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. 
Folks, we usually pull out verse 7 from the context, which says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. This word ask is usually thought of to be or to mean make a request. But that's not what this word means. This word means literally to call for or require. It means to make a demand on something. Now, we don't see it too much on our checks nowadays, but in not too many years past, part of the, the, a check for our checking accounts would have on the, the payment line, pay to the order of or pay to the demand of. That's what this word is, is illustrating, which says whatever you call for or require in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's talking about the relationship that we have with God, abiding in him, centering our life around him, first and foremost, for the purpose of bringing forth fruit. God is glorified. Verse 8 goes on to say, Herein is my Father glorified. God is glorified when you bring forth fruit. And it's a sign of God's love. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall call for or require or make a demand on what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you, make much, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Notice verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Bringing forth fruit, making a demand on the salvation benefits that Jesus purchased with his own blood, that glorifies God and comes about as a result of the love that he has for us. where it says we're not servants anymore. He's talking about the relationship and the fellowship we have together. He said, I don't call you servants anymore because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I call you friends because I've ordained you. The word ordained means to set or to put in place. I've ordained you to bring forth much fruit and that your fruit should remain Lasting fruit, spiritual fruit, eternal fruit. Now we see in the Old Testament, in the, the Bible, Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that the things that happened to the Old Testament, Israel, are given to us as examples, things that we can know and recognize the character and the nature of God. And we've got a lot of wonderful examples in the Old Testament that show us who God is and what he does. The Bible says in Psalm 105, verse 7, I believe it is, that God made his acts known to Israel, but he made his ways known unto Moses. Moses is a good example of somebody that put a demand made a demand on the things of God. Now, God told Moses what the plagues were, would be, and each time he directed him 
to go to Pharaoh and speak on behalf of God and say, let my people go. Every time Moses carried out the directive of God, then some great miracle, some great sign took place. Now God, if he had set things up or wanted to set things up in a different manner, he certainly could have. He could have set things up so that he could operate in this world according to his own sovereign will without any regard or dependence on Moses or anybody else for that matter. But the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, after God had created everything on the earth, everything that was good, after he made the kingdom of God here on the earth, there was no sin, there was no, nothing to gum up the works or to change his creation. He said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. The Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. Man's the one with authority here on the earth. And so God, even doing the wonder, wonderful signs and miracles to deliver his people, to deliver Israel from the bondage of Egypt, which is a type of the salvation experience where we come out of the bondage of Satan. God needed a man to operate through. God still needs a man to operate through because man is the one that has authority on the earth. So Moses, after finding, hearing the will of God, after identifying from God himself, what he was supposed to do, he took that which represented the God that he served, the rod that was in his hand, and he performed miracle after miracle, executed judgment after judgment upon the, the false gods and the idols of Israel, of Egypt, many of which Israel had fallen, fallen into worshiping themselves. And the Old Testament is ripe and full of examples where people operated according to God's direction and brought about supernatural and miraculous results. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. We've got people in the Old Testament like Daniel who obtained deliverance from the lions in the lion's den and changed the word of the king and made himself known as the creator of heaven and earth. We see the three Hebrew children with Daniel in Daniel chapter 3 that place a demand on the deliverance of God from the burning fiery furnace. We even see in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel or king of Judah really 
and he is beset upon by five different enemy armies that greatly outnumber Israel and threaten to wipe away Israel from existence. But Jehoshaphat calls the people to prayer. And a part of the prayer that he prays is that he says to God, you told us to build you this sanctuary. And you told us that whenever we were in trouble, if we would come to you, then you would deliver us. Now, Lord, look at our enemies. Deliver us from the hands of our enemies. And you remember the story. God answers back and tells them that they won't need to fight for the battle is not theirs, the battle is the Lord's. And God delivers the enemies of Israel into their hands with such, in such a measure that it takes them three days to carry off the spoil of their enemies. Folks, this is God's pattern. God identifies from his word who he is and what he will do. And then he challenges us to declare victory, to take possession of victory, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what we're beset by, no matter what trouble we find ourselves in. And he comes through. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall call for or require whatever you need, and it shall be done unto you. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 3, please. Acts chapter 3 tells us of the early days of the church. Verse 1, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which was, which was sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or our holiness we had made this man to walk? Let me stop and pause for there, pause at this point for just a moment. Most people in the modern day church say that the reason the apostles were able to do miracles like that, like are recorded in the book of Acts, were able to do them those things because they had either a special relationship with Jesus or they had some power that the rest of the church doesn't have. But folks, the Holy Spirit knows 
what objections people are going to raise to the work that he has commanded us to do. And those are the two very things that they identify that were not the cause of the power that was manifest in the, the cripple. He said, why do you imagine that by our own power or our own holiness, we had made this man to walk? The two things that he said were not the cause. Answer the argument that modern day church will give toward miracles and healings. It wasn't by their own power and it wasn't by their own holiness. Well, if anybody's going to know that, it would be them, wouldn't it? So no matter what the modern day church or anybody else says about why these things took place, Peter simply says they took place because of the name of Jesus. It wasn't something the disciples had that you and I don't have. Wasn't some power that they had that we don't. It wasn't some special relationship with God that they had that we don't. Peter said it was simply the name of Jesus that did the work. Well, the end result of this is that 5,000 people get saved. But let's move over to chapter 4 and see what happens in the rest of the story. Verse 1, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by which mean by what means he is made whole be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead even by him does this man stand here before you all this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Now folks, remember what God said in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 14 after Israel has rejected God's plan to take possession of the promised land after 10 of the 12 spies have declared we can't do this. 
And the Bible says, God said himself, that they tempted him. Now, the temptation that they brought against God was very simple in that they said God's not with us, so we can't do the job. But God had already declared that he would be with them. He would be with them in everything that they did. He would be with them to defeat their enemies. But 10 of the 12 spies said, we can't do this, which is a, a direct challenge to what God had already promised that he would do. They simply are saying, God's not with us, and therefore we can't take possession of this promised land. One of the things that transpires out of Israel rebelling against God and refusing to take possession of the promised land, even though God said that he'd be with them and would deliver it into their hands. One of the things that takes place is that God declares an eternal law. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, he says, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, the earth shall be filled with my glory. Now that phrase, as truly as I live, means something very specific. There are two outstanding characteristics of the life of God. One is that it's eternal. God never changes. God never dies. God never goes off, to, uh, off of the scene in any way whatsoever. And the second characteristic of, of God's life is that it never changes. So these eternal laws, there are two of them that he identifies in Numbers chapter 14. Verse 21, as truly as I live, here's the eternal and unchanging law of God. The earth shall be filled with my glory. The second one is in, in verse 21, or verse 27, excuse me, where he says, as truly as I live, say unto the people, as they have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto them. So the, the two eternal laws that are identified by God himself after Israel fails to trust him and, and thereby to take possession of the promised land, those two eternal laws, one shows that man has authority and here's how authority is exercised. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. Since that's an eternal law, folks, that means it's still the law of, of the earth now. As we have spoken in his ears, the words that we speak are exactly what God brings to pass in our lives. And the other eternal law is in verse 21, as we mentioned. As truly as I live, the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Now, the things that we see here in Acts chapter 3 and 4 identify the glory of God in Jerusalem, not in the whole earth, but in one city. But the fact that it shows us what the glory of God being seen and manifest in Jerusalem was, then it sets a pattern for us for what to expect in our city. It shows us what God wants to perform and when he gets cooperation from his church, his people, what he does bring to pass. So in verse 16 again, 
as they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them. It's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about above 40 years old on which this miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Folks, they lived in a day where there were threatened, where there were serious and legitimate threats made against them for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Now, for the most part, the American churches avoided threats from the government and those that are in charge and have failed to experience persecution in any serious or significant manner. But we're coming into a day where the government is trying to shut the church down. Now some people will hear that and say that I'm overstating the the fact And in certain pockets, we happen to be in one. Where persecution is not leveled against the church in such a significant manner. That it really begs the question of whether or not it's really taking place. But folks, with all the things that are taking place, with the coronavirus... And with the actions of government, not only on the federal level, but on the state and city levels as well. There are increasing events and activities that are designed to shut the church down. And it's very important that we see things for the spiritual truth and spiritual purpose that's behind them. Folks, anybody that believes that the coronavirus and the mandates for vaccines and so forth 
are designed for the benefit of public health has got their eyes closed and their head buried in the sand. All the things that are taking place with the vaccine mandates and any, any and every other direction, we see what's taking place in school boards with the critical race theory and all those things, similar things taking place. They're simply the devil trying to exercise control over the church. And as I said, in my opinion, you judge for yourself. But in my opinion, it's important for the church to have its eyes open to recognize not only what is going on, but why it's going on. We have many examples, both Old and New Testament, of government trying to stop the church. It's nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years. But there's never been a more important time for us to have our eyes open and live in such a way where we're guided by the word and not by tradition or social justice. So they continue their prayer for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Folks, they recognize that the problem is not on the power end. The necessity is on the man's, man-sized work, availability, action. They recognize that it's boldness that triggers the power of God. They recognize that it's not enough just to have faith in what God can or will do. But it takes boldness to step out so that God can show himself strong. So they said, grant unto thy servants boldness that they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. Folks, they understood that healings and miracles are the things that God uses to bring people into his family. Now, why would God want, when the Bible tells us in James 5, 7, that Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth? Why would God want to operate in a different way than the way that we see took place and swept multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. Why would he want to use something other than healings and miracles 
when we see the results that healing and miracles produce. Well, what kind of results does this kind of prayer get? Grant unto thy servants boldness that, that we may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and bought, brought the price of the things that were sold. A part of the glory of God that was seen in the early days of the church included financial miracles as well. Folks, God cares for his people. He's promised to bring deliverance when the enemy stands against us. So they brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. That word consolation means encouragement. He was a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. Having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5 then tells us about Ananias and Sapphira who conspired to lie to the church. They sold a piece of property and said that it was for so much, but in fact it was sold for more than they said, and they held back part of it for their own purposes. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Apparently they had long church services back then. And Peter answered unto her, tell, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried their, thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found, their dead, found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her 
by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now, folks, we're living in an age of grace, which basically means that we don't get what we deserve. We get the goodness of God because of Jesus' sacrifice. And whereas this event was very important in the formation and the, the governing of the church, It's notable, well, let me say it this way. What if things like that still happen today? What if the Ananias and Sapphira incident was something that still happened today? What if lying to the Holy Ghost ended your life? I'm not exactly sure how things took place after this event was concluded. But I'm going to make a guess that church attendance was down the following week. <laughs> the American church is such a wimpy group of people. Look at the complaints that take place concerning offerings and the way people take offerings and whether or not they receive offerings and things like that. But folks, if offerings were not important to God, then why would there be punishment meted out on Ananias and Sapphira? The Bible talks about your treasure being in heaven, having heavenly treasure and not just earthly treasure. This event was certainly significant. And since God never changes, then God's attitude toward it back then has to be his attitude now. Verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's play, porch. And of the rest there no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. That must be what was going on with Ananias and Sapphira. They must have been trying to gain a place, maybe a similar place that Barnabas had gained But the reason he gained a special place in ministry was because it was the will of God for him, not because he was trying to manipulate people through his giving. So maybe Ananias and Sapphira were trying to do something similar to what Barnabas did, expecting to get some kind of place of prominence 
that we would have to understand that, that Barnabas obtained because he's operating according to the direction and the leading of God. And of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them in beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Now, folks, I want to draw your attention to something again. This is the, glo the glory of God being manifest in the city of Jerusalem. But the eternal and unchanging law is not that the glory of God would be seen in Jerusalem, but that the whole earth shall be filled with his glory. Now, what brought about the glory of God being seen and known and published if they're coming out from other cities in that region, then the news is spreading. How did it come about? Well, it started with one healing, a notable miracle, as the Bible says. One guy that's been crippled from his mother's womb, and after he was 40 years old, came in contact with the healing and the miracle working power of God. And as a result of that one miracle, it tells us that 5,000 people got saved and it sparked the prayer for boldness from the church of that day. And it created such a wave of healing such a wave of healing miracles that not only did healing come by a new method, something that's not identified in any other place in the Bible, something that we would have no way to know and would only be able to speculate whether or not anybody was healed by shadow from that point forward. Folks, imagine what it would be like living in those days. Specifically, when this wave of healing and miracles is taking place. I'm reminded of Psalm 126 that talks about we were like them that dream. It would be like living in a dream. Healings were not only taking place. Miracles were not only prevalent. But that everyone, everyone that was brought from other surrounding towns were healed. Not one person left out. Can you imagine the wave of, of faith the level of faith that would have been the result of these healings and miracles. 
it would manifest and produce a faith to believe that anything was possible. Now, folks, I would submit to you that that's what God wants us to believe, that anything and everything is possible. One healing brought the glory of God to a city. that produced miracles and healing works greater than anything we've ever experienced. Well, what's changed? Can't be God. He said he's God and he changes not. So what's changed? I think there are a couple of things that we need to be aware of, a couple of things that we need to put our faith on, to be honest with you. First of all, you've got to recognize the times that we're living in. We're living in the last of the last days where there is literally nothing left to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back. But having said that, we need to recognize that the reason that Jesus is delaying his coming is because he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it, James 5, 7 says, until he receives the early and the latter rain. Now, the early and the latter rain are identified as the working of the Holy Ghost. Here's the early rain right here in Acts chapter 3 and 4. Well, folks, what's the difference in the early rain and the latter rain? The timing is the only difference. Just as the timing that took place in the early chapters of Acts showed that God was willing and able to bring forth great miracles, mighty signs and wonders to produce a harvest of people to come into his family. In the same way, the Bible says concerning the latter rain that it will sweep multitudes into the kingdom of God just as the early rain did here. So I think the first thing that we need to recognize and really take to heart is that we're living in the days that were prophesied of. We're living in the days that the Bible identifies as a work of the Holy Ghost taking place to sweep multitudes, maybe millions of people into God's family. The second thing I think we need to keep our eyes on is that this moving of the Holy Ghost results 
or comes about as a result as in this case where a special manifestation of faith in the name of Jesus and a wave of working of miracles and gifts of healings are specifically identified as God's will for the day that we live in. What do you think would take place as the more government reaches out to limit the operation of the church? What do you think the results would be for a notable miracle just as the man that was healed at the beautiful gate? For the government to make its case against the church and, and of course the only reason that they're using or the, the reason that they're giving for the things that are taking place the persecution of the church that's taking place now is the coronavirus stuff if we started seeing gifts of healings and working of miracles specifically healing miracles if we began to see those things take place what argument would they have for wearing a mask or getting vaccinated or failing to assemble together? What argument, what power of that argument would stand against the notable miracle type things that happened here in the book of Acts? I fully believe that the church is going to have to take a stand not only a stand against the devil's work but recognizing that the devil uses government forces and has used them historically to limit or to hinder the church. Folks, we serve a God that's bigger than government. And there are going to be situations where just as Daniel and the three Hebrew children before King Nebuchadnezzar, where we take a stand just like they took a stand, And the end result will be seeing the delivering power of God. Folks, this is not church as usual today. This day, this time that we live in, we have to recognize that it's not just church as usual. Paul wrote to the church in the book of Hebrews to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now for Paul to be inspired by the Holy Ghost 
to tell us not to forsake that assembling of ourselves together. He must have seen that there would come a time when government would legitimately, illegally perhaps, but forbidding the church to operate with freedom and clarity. We know in other places, like in China, we know the underground church is operating, but they're not able to be out in the open. What if that same type of thing took place in our country? What would you do? A lot of Christians would just give up to the edicts of the government. And for the sake of not trying to create waves, would just obey what they were told to do. But there are others that regardless of what the government intended or demanded would let their lives be dictated to by the word of God and the direction given to us in his word. Folks, there is such an excitement on the inside of me and in case you don't know, this is me excited. <laughs> but there is such an excitement on the inside of me for the days that we live in. I know that some people are going to give up. I know that Churches, probably including ours too, will lose a lot of good, good, good people. Because not everybody is willing to embrace the fight in the same level. Now, I don't have a persecution complex. but I see more and more how things are going. The direction of things against the church. And since not everybody is, com is committed to the same level, to the same degree, there'll be a lot of people that'll fall away. Paul, in writing to the church, speaking of what the church knows of as the rapture, says that there will be a catching away. The phrase that he uses is a catching away. That Greek word catching away really means falling away. It's a word that's used for people entering into apostasy and blaspheming the word of God. 
Now, this catching away has two meanings. It can mean, and much of the church has accepted it to mean, the catching away as in the rapture. But it also means falling away as in departing from the church. Now, there was a word, a different word that Paul could have used to identify either of these two things. But he used a word that could mean both. And I have to assume that the reason he used the word that could mean both is that he's talking about both happening. Now, the falling away into apostasy I've always looked at that as being people turning their back on sound doctrine. But I've come to realize over the last year or so that could legitimately refer to people falling away from the church because of the mandates of the government. That falling away doesn't necessarily mean that they'll turn their back on the reality that Jesus came to the earth and offered himself a sacrifice. But it could mean something so simple as an unwillingness to take a stand against the government as the church is persecuted. We live in exciting times. But remember what the disciples prayed for. They prayed for boldness to speak the word of God. The boldness that comes from stretching forth, God stretching forth his hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. They recognized that the healing power of God, although it's not the only way, it's certainly a way for multitudes of people to be brought into the kingdom of God. I'm looking for the church in the last days and I'm including us in this as well. I believe we're going to have some notable miracles. And I also believe that these notable miracles and other signs and miraculous things that God will perform in the last days through those who are bold to declare God's goodness and his all-sufficiency I'm looking for notable miracles to be done in the name of Jesus. What do you think that would result in? 
if the word got around that the church was the center of God's healing power, in my estimation, that would give courage to people that in otherwise, other situations, would be afraid or too timid to stand up. But if you're in a place that's doing signs and wonders and miracles, that could change the, the complexion of this part of the earth that we live in. Now, what keeps that from happening? We know that God wants it to happen. We know that the latter rain would be similar in nature to the early rain. And we've already identified what that is. When I think of what those notable miracles would bring about. When I think of the results, I imagine God being glorified in such a way that's greater than anything that we've ever experienced. But I believe with all my heart that God's going to do the very same things that he did before. If he's not willing to do them again, then why did he show them to us? Why did he give us a record of what happened in the book of Acts? But instead, I believe that he showed us what happened in the book of Acts at the beginning of the church to give us an example of what to believe for or what to expect in these last of the last days. If we read a little further in the book of Acts, we'd see that Peter and John get captured again and taken into prison. And the angel comes at night, during the night and opens the doors and tells them to go speak in the sanctuary, not hiding undercover, but to speak publicly in the sanctuary, the temple. All the words of this life, as the Bible records. So that the next day, the rulers send for Peter and John in the prison, which they were delivered, in the, uh, delivered unto the previous day, and they can't find them until finally somebody comes and says they're preaching in the temple. Now, folks, if God's deliverance, and apparently it does, if God's deliverance includes breaking you out of prison so that you have the opportunity to preach the gospel publicly, then what have we to fear? We serve an awesome God. God is a miracle-working God and always will be.
So I'm going to ask you to do something with me today. And that is, let's pray this, this uh, Acts 4 prayer for us. Can we do that? We'll pick it up here in Acts chapter 4. In verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Father, we pray these prayers, this prayer, for our church. Grant unto us boldness to speak your word the kind of boldness that comes by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. Father, we pray that you would do miraculous works just as you did when people were healed by Peter's shadow. And we pray, Father, that you would do works, miracle works, healing works in such a measure that people would come from around surrounding cities to be ministered to and that they would be healed everyone give us boldness Lord to declare victory and healing and deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus the mighty name of Jesus we ask you, Father, for notable miracles. We ask you for the opportunity to declare the truth that Jesus came to this earth and died for our sins. And through your working miracles, through gifts of healings, through manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We ask that the, the heathen would be swept into the kingdom of God. You said, Lord, that if we ask for the heathen as an inheritance, you'd give it to us. So through these signs and wonders and gifts of healings, 
We ask you to give us the healing for our, the heathen for our inheritance too. Father, we pray for greater revelation. Greater revelation in your word. Greater revelation concerning your will in the earth. Greater revelation that will enable us to be bold like we've never been before. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Now say it this way. The Lord is good. And his healing mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Don't forget the concert this evening at 5. It'll be a great blessing to you. We'll see you then.